Welcome to the 383rd episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome and thank you for listening. I didn't think I'd be here this week. I got my dates screwed up. Um, Our race is until next weekend, so I have another weekend of tapering. Good thing because I got a little bit of a cold Um, so I was a little bit punky and with the time change and everything, I'm happy for another week of taper, but I feel ready. I feel ready. I've decided on my shoes. I think I said that last week, um, going to, um, you know, just taper and take it easy. Keep stretching. Um, I'm doing some yoga back and hip mobility things. Um, got the nutrition lined up, little Betty Lou's some miso soup. I think that the um, race itself is going to have a whole lot of stuff at the aid tables. There's three of them, 16.7 mile loops. So there should be plenty of food to take us through 50 miles. So I had a new food this week. Um, Finally got enough nerve to try Aki, A-C-K-E-E. Aki is part of the national dish of Jamaica. Typically, they make it with salt fish and onions, and it's fried, and there's Aki in it. But I didn't have it that way. I had um, I made my Aki with um, tomatoes, mushrooms, peppers, and it, and, uh, it was really, really good. Uh, I also had a scotch bonnet pepper. I almost forgot one of the most important aspects of Jamaican food is a good hot scotch bonnet pepper. Thanks to a Jamaican member, I have a little hot scotch bonnet plant. But more thanks to that same member, he gave me scotch bonnet pepper. So I um, ferment them and have them in the refrigerator. I also dried some and I also froze some. So I actually used some of the ones that were fermented in this dish. So let me tell you a little bit about my Aki story. Um, again, I love the, one of the best parts I love living in Southwest Florida is fruit season. And I love to try new tropical fruits. So, um, one of the fruits I'm going to talk about next is Mame Sapota, but I was running one Saturday doing a long run, and I ran by this tree that had these beautiful red pear-shaped type fruits on it. And I'd never seen such a fruit before. It didn't look like a pear, didn't look like an apple. I didn't know what it was. So I took a picture of it, and I actually tried to pull on, the tree was loaded. I tried to pull and see if one would come off easily, and it didn't. Good for me. So I went on about my run, and when I got home, I posted on Facebook, the picture of the fruit, and everybody guessed, but nobody really knew exactly what the fruit was. So after I got showered up and I was headed to the hospital to see my patients, I drove down the same street and I saw somebody outside. So I stopped and I pulled in their driveway and I asked them, it's like, can I ask you what, you know, what kind of fruit tree is this? And they were very happy to tell me all about this Aki tree. And they said it's very good, but the outside of the fruit induces a vomiting-like illness because it has a neurotoxin. So thank goodness I was not able to get it off the tree. If I had taken a bite, I would have been very, very ill. But they told me that they had to, you had to open these fruits up when they were ripe, and then you eat the inside, the inside flesh that's around the seed. 
And that scared me really bad because I thought there's just no way I'm going to eat the right part or, um, you know, not get some of the bad part. I don't know what I'm doing. This is one I should really stay away from. So I have. What they didn't exactly tell me is for the, the, you really should wait until the fruit split open to eat them, which I would have never thought again. And when you, when the fruit splits open, the seed dangles a mist of a yellow flesh that's inside around the seed, and that kind of pulls off. And that yellow flesh is actually the part that you eat. And if you look it up, it has a, um, it's very fatty and has an egg type texture to it. So I was going to make the dish, you know, a, a pasta dish with, uh, you know, a marinara sauce anyway. So I tried it. I decided to see what kind of creamy flavor this Aki gave my tomato sauce type dish. And it was very, very good uh, and, and tasted really good. But I did not use fresh Aki. I used a can Aki. And how I came upon that was that I was in my favorite South American store and I ran into a lady that I knew and she and I had told her that story before and she thought it was she was a Jamaican lady and she thought it was very funny that I almost ate one and she says have you had Aki yet and I said no and she says here let me show you the kind in a can you should buy so I bought Aki in a can and then like I said I rinsed them and um, used them in this dish so what is um, the nutritional component of an Aki Oh, and, and by the way, um, when I look at my notes, I, I need to tell you that it's listed as one of the 10 most dangerous foods on the planet. Um, but don't let that stop you. Don't let that stop you. Um, you eat it more like a vegetable, like I said. Um, it is um, very high in fat. It has 15 grams of fat, most of which is uh, it's our... Um, Oleic, oleic acid, 55%. There's some linoleic acid, which is omega-6. There's some stearic acid. In a 100-gram serving, which is basically 3.5 ounces, there's 4 grams of protein. There's a lot of zinc, B vitamins. There's 40 milligrams of calcium. There is 3 grams of fiber. Um, there's a little bit of vitamin C. Uh, a little bit of iron, so it's um, you know pretty. It's it's fairly close to an avocado in some respects. If we look, uh, I'm going to go uh, and talk about avocados in a little bit. But a whole avocado will have 322 calories, 29 grams of fat, four grams of protein, 17 grams of carb, and about 14 grams of fiber. That's the whole avocado, a whole Haas avocado. So that's, you know, more of a fruit, so you probably divide that somewhere in half. So it's not all that far off. I'd say that the Aki is a little bit more fatty, perhaps, than the avocado. And the texture is somewhat like an egg white. Again, it's in the family of the lychee, the longan, and the rambutan. Um, it's used more as a vegetable. It was the, the official scientific name was actually named after William Bly who was a British naval officer that um, brought the fruit to the uh, Kew Gardens in 1783. Um, so the official name is Blahia Sepida. Aki seems better. The other tropical fruit that I really enjoy, and it's somewhat hard to find here, were just, they do grow in this 
far south, but really a little further south is better. Um, my mame came from Miami area, and a mame has a brown woody type skin, kind of like a leathery looking on the outside. It can be as big as a football or as small as a child's football, we'll say. It carries a lot of polyphenols and tannins. It's bright orange inside, um, and it has the texture kind of the cross between a sweet potato and an avocado. They're large. Um, Typically, they can weigh up to 558 grams, and for that, 694 calories. There are 210 grams of fat in them. they have a lot of potassium, over 2 grams of potassium, um, 179 grams of carbohydrate, 30 grams of fiber in the whole thing, 112 grams of sugar, 8 grams of protein, has a lot of vitamin C, 213%, 200% of the B6, 10% of calcium, iron 24%, magnesium 15%. There's a lot of antiviral and antibacterial properties um, there are lycopenes associated with lucan, lutins in them, uh, zeaxanthins in them, beta carotenoids. They're thought to help lower homocysteine levels. Very, very sweet, um, like a sweet potato, but not as starchy as a sweet potato. So I have them in the morning as part of my breakfast, my fruit breakfast. So I'll have um, papaya, mame, white sapodilla. Um, and mango, watermelon, that was today. Um, just depends on what I can get my hands on. I also get yellow dragon fruit from uh, Miami Fruit that I have shipped over here because I really enjoy the yellow dragon fruit. Sometimes our Publix has them, but uh, not a lot. So, you know, when we think of fruit, people think of something being very high in sugar and carbohydrate, and these are two um, and really three, if you count the avocado, fr- three fruits that are actually very fatty uh, when you think about them, high in fiber, high in protein, uh, but still can have a great place in, in your diet. People are always asking me, what about avocado? What about avocado? Can we have avocado? And of course, now you're going to say, I can't believe you're talking about these fatty fruits, aki and mame. Uh, but again, it's a little dabble, do you, and what they are associated with. So a lot of antioxidants and fiber and, and, and good nutrients are associated with them. And in fact, there was a study uh, that came out uh, this week looking at two servings of avocado a week, lowering cardiovascular disease by 16% and um, congestive heart disease by 21%. Did not have any effect on stroke. Um, the serving size was one half of an avocado. Um, and if you read in the study, you know, everybody's going to run out and say, okay, we need to eat a lot of guacamole. Again, it was twice, two servings a week. Um, and they looked at it as a replacement for butter, um, margarine, eggs, yogurt, cheese, so to speak. Um, they looked at Haas avocados. Again, there seemed to be high in oleic acid, which be, seems to be a little bit more uh, protective. Plant sterols, plenty, uh, polyphenols. Um, but they, they, you know, they're going to have the equivalent in calories of about two tablespoons of oil. So, when you're looking at avocados, again, high fat um, and high calorie, all of these things. So it's not something that oh, this is a great food and we want to eat a tremendous amount of them. 
you, you kind of have to stick to the serving size. And when people get do guacamole, you know, you can smash a lot of half Haas avocados into a tiny bowl and eat it very quickly. So I always suggest that, again, people stick to the serving size of a half or a quarter of avocado, depending on if someone has diabetes, I would put them down to a quarter, um, and slice it. Slice it thin, make it pretty, use it as a condiment, um, use it as, you know, use it on your salad, um, and see what your numbers are. Because I think that, you know, you use things as feedback. I, I got asked today, you know, what about um, people that have a genetic predisposition? position to hyperlipidemia and premature cardiovascular disease and you know does a plant-based diet work in these people and can I give them specific studies and most studies don't look at um, and, or separate out whether people have you know um, familial hyperlipidemia or you know it's diet related most nutrition studies unfortunately are questionnaire type studies so their recall which we know can be off quite a bit sometimes 20 even 40 percent sometimes so some of the stuff you have to take a little bit um, with a grain of salt and then apply it to yourself and see what your numbers are like so it may be such that the avocado you feel great your numbers look good, not a problem. Your weight's under good control. It didn't, it didn't increase your cholesterol. It didn't increase your diabetes. You tolerated it. But on the other hand, it might be such that it really keeps you from achieving an ideal body mass index because you're putting on avocado toast on everything else. You're getting avocado, but you're not getting other, other nutrients in the morning like you, you, know, you could be with, with fruit uh, and a, in a wide variety of colors. So it have, everything has to be taken into contact. This particular study with the Nurses Health, uh, they looked at 68,000 people from Nurses Health and uh, 41,000 people from the, the um, hospital or uh, health professionals uh, studies, and they looked at a baseline questionnaire, and then they sent a questionnaire every four years later. So uh, they also noted, you know, and after 13 years, this is when they saw a 16% reduction in cardiovascular disease and a 21% reduction in, in congestive heart disease. They also noted that this particular group that had the highest avocado intake um, tended to um, eat more calories. They also ate more fruit. They ate more vegetables, whole grains. They did eat dairy and nuts. Um, but the diet tended to be more healthy than a standard American diet. So everything has to be taken into, um, into context a little bit. Again, uh, a whole avocado can have 29 grams of fat. Uh, 4 grams of protein, 17 grams of carb, 14 grams of fiber. That's a whole avocado. Um, that's about uh, 322 calories. So, you you know, avocado calorically can add up very, very quickly. I don't think people realize. So you just have to be really, really careful. The next thing I wanted to talk about today is related to movement, and that is osteoporosis. Um, when people are labeled with a diagnosis of osteoporosis, that means a severe decline in bone density um, greater than two and a half, T score of greater than uh, minus two and a half, but, or osteopenia, which would be an abnormal bo bone density score by DEXA. In today's world, um, everybody's referred, every postmenopausal woman, woman is referred for a DEXA scan at menopause. Um, it does involve some radiation. What do you do with the information? Um, 
it's kind of like being referred for a stress test. Not everybody is going to have osteoporosis when they go through menopause. There are certain risk factors. We have to look at nutrition, um, overall weight, exercise, mobility, fracture history, family history. So people should be risk, you know, I'm all for risk stratifying people. And then you can make a decision whether you think that that test is something that you might be interested in. And what would you do with the answer to the test? The test was designed to identify people that would benefit from bisphosphonates or things like Fosamax or, or medications that will help to rebuild bone, so to speak. And you say, well, why wouldn't anybody want to take this? But, you know, again, every medication has a certain set of side effects. And the question, does a medication actually prevent fractures? And are the risks greater than the benefits? And again, we have to go back into an individual as opposed to the whole. And, you know, medicine comes down to this over and over again. It's, it's actually taking enough time with somebody to identify their risk and what they're comfortable doing for the risk. So if we isolated a group of small, thin women who had a family history of osteoporosis, that would be at a higher group to see whether or not their bone density was decreased. And then what would we do about them and what, what could we um, typically hope to, to find? The bisphosphonates decrease bone turnover and ultimately alter the way the bone mineral and matrix properties, uh, the way the bone, new bone is laid down. So this results in these little building blocks, a decrease in osteoclast and osteoblast, and the mechanical properties of the bone actually starts to deteriorate. So we're kind of told early on that, you know, we put somebody on these medications and it's going to bring their bones back to the way they were when they were 21, and, and that's just not true. And we also know that greater than five years of treatment with these medications may result in an increased risk of hip fracture because of the way the bone is changed. So we really have to think about who takes them and for how long, and should there be a period of time that there's it's skipped between, and is there anything else that we can do? And I'm going to say that there's a lot that we can do. And the things that we, should, we can do should be addressed as opposed to just going ahead and doing treatment. So when we look at osteoporosis, you can think of osteoporosis of the hips and pelvis or osteoporosis of the, the thoracic and lumbar spine or the spine in general. And the risk of a compression fracture in the vertebral bodies of the spine um, you think you see people with uh, humped backs and kyphosis, and uh, they're very painful. Um, it can cause nerve damage, or um, especially if in their lumbar area, um, the major risk of thoracic compression fractions are a decrease in the height of the thoracic cavity. So if you think about your lungs are housed in your chest and your spine is holding your your chest cavity up and when that starts to bend and compress then the lungs are compressed and it's harder to take a good breath 
Um, mechanics become hard, harder as far as for diaphragmatic movement. So moving the diaphragm, it can track on down, pelvic floor mobility. Um, your diaphragm is hooked on to your, you know, is, is, is associated with the vagal nerve, the vagus nerve, parasympathetic activity, heart rate, respiration. So there's a whole host of things that the thoracic spine uh, in, in keeping that intact is important for. But the major one, you know, I would say, and the, and the worst thing that can happen is a loss of volume in the lungs, and then that leads people to a risk of pneumonia and ultimately death from pneumonia. If we look at the lumbar area and those compression fractures, um, we look start to think about radicular pain, pain when people walk, pain down the legs, numbness, weakness, or spinal cord impingements, can, which can be a, an issue. Most of the time, it's, it's more of a pain syndrome than it is a... Uh, neuropathic or numbness or weakness type syndrome and then obviously osteoporosis in the hip and pelvis can can lead to fractures um, you know and and certainly falls and uh, the need for hip replacements and the problem if the bone is weak and you try to put a metal prosthesis in a weakened bone it's hard to get the cement to hold uh, and it's a whole set of problems so the idea would to be to prevent fractures so that we don't have to deal with any of these other things. But most of the time, um, people present with having a problem um, or they present with osteoporosis, and now we're trying to backpedal and lay down more bone, but it's never going to be as good as it was. So perhaps we should back up, back the train up, so to speak, um, a lot of that's been going around lately, apparently. And um, how do we prevent osteoporosis? Um, and it is weight, the, the, the really simple answer is weight bearing activity. Um, and the more weight bearing and stress you put on the system, the more stimulus there is to grow bone. So, ideally, um, playing sports and being very active at a young age, people will have really good bones and there'll be less deterioration. I want to take a minute for diet before we go back to um, mobility ways to prevent and treat osteoporosis, but everybody's told calcium, 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 take your calcium, take your calcium, there's calcium in the shelves, there's calcium chewies, calcium chocolate, calcium, calcium gummies, gummies seems to be what everybody takes anymore, get your calcium take your vitamin D. I do believe vitamin D levels need to be optimized. I think because we live in an indoor society um, and a sun phobic society, I do believe that most people need vitamin D. Uh, it also helps with immune function. So you should have your vitamin D le levels checked. Having a vitamin D level within the lower limits of normal, I don't believe is as protective as getting that vitamin D up into the 50 range, that 25-hydroxy vitamin D, which is the active form. Over 100, it, uh, the risk for kidney stones increase. So just popping, you know, 10,000 of 20,000 of vitamin D every day, is not, every day is not in your best interest. But certainly having your vitamin D levels checked and, and looking for a level around 50. Calcium supplementation doesn't do anything. Um, it sells calcium supplementation. The best thing that we can do, um, calcium is in greens, beans, grains. It's everywhere on the plant-based diet. Cows get it. Horses get it. It's in the, what they eat. The countries that eat the most dairy have the most osteoporosis. 
And you would ask why, but it's because the people that eat dairy, people that eat animal products have a, a more acidity. So they pull the calcium out of their bones to neutralize their blood. So people that, uh, you know, um, Norwegian countries, Great Britain, United States, a lot of dairy, a lot of meat, a lot of osteoporosis. So going to a plant-based diet, which people think you're going to fall apart if you eat a plant-based diet, but actually is preventative. Um, there have been studies in men and women that if you look at men and women that are long, long-term plant-based eaters, they have less bone and muscle mass loss than people that are standard American diet meat eaters. So you will not fall apart eating plants, even though there are people that look that way. Um, but the majority of people can maintain good, healthy bones and muscles um, eating an adequate plant-based diet. And that means adequate in calcium, or a- adequate in calories and in variety. So when we look at a plate, we want to see greens, we want to see grains, we want to see beans. Um, certainly want to see uh, the, the greens portion of it. So that being said, um, a plant-based diet is not a risk for osteoporosis. Malnourishment is a risk for osteoporosis. Sedentary lifestyle is a risk for osteopenia and osteoporosis. If you don't use your body, it will deteriorate. It will crumble just like the shoes in your closet that the soles fall off and the tires on your car that that rot away so will your bones and muscles if they're not used so now we're back to how do we use our bones and muscles so that we don't get osteoporosis and you know um standard thought process is how little do we have to move to maintain our cardiovascular fitness how little do we have to move to maintain our skeletons how little do we have to do to do anything Um, And I think that's where the problem comes in, in individuals that are at risk for osteopenia and osteoporosis may also be the individuals that aren't as likely to do um, some of the other activities. So strength training is very important, but strength training and posture is very important. If, If people are doing exercises on machines and they're sitting down, then they're not going to put the load on their spine and their hips and their pelvis that they would if they were standing, so they don't get that much benefit out of it. So if you're doing two uh, sessions of 30 minutes of strength training on machines, you're not going to get near the the build in your bones and your pelvises if you were standing. If you are pounding and running versus walking, you'll get more motion, more impact to your spine and your in your skeleton by running. And that's, again, people say, oh my gosh, you don't want to run because you're putting too much stress on your joints and on your knees and on your back and on your spine. But that's exactly where you want to put it because, again, if you're suspended in, um, and we'll talk about a NASA study in a little bit, but if you're, if you're, not, if you're not having gravity uh, and you're not having a load and impact on these, these bones, are going to be more breakdown uh, and deterioration. So don't be afraid to pound a little bit. You know, we have all these padded things, padded surface, padded shoes, padded padded exercise equipment so that we don't, um, you know, pound as much. But that pound is actually very, very good for us. And form 
is usually better when people have less under their feet because your feet are tender on the bottom, especially early on. So you're more likely to hit with proper form if you don't have a giant cushion under your foot uh, when you land, be it the treadmill or, um, you know, the, the, uh, a surface that's at, at the gym or the, the road or a big cushiony shoe. Rebounders come to mind. Um, people, and, and I always ask why. Um, they're fun. Everybody likes to jump. Um, and again, people say, well, there's less impact. If you go and try to look the literature up for rebounders, um, you will see a lot of industry-sponsored um, studies, industries, well, not really even studies, but claims of how good cardiovascular and benefit and kinesi and, and, and mobility that you can do with uh, a rebounder. And there are some things that are better rebounding than, say, jumping on the floor or even running with extension, a little bit more extension. If you jump down and, and the thing gives a little bit, then you come up, you have more extension, but you don't have the impact that you would if you were hitting the ground um, by jumping or, or, or running. And so the question is, what do you want to get out of that exercise? Are you going to do something for your bones besides something for your cardiovascular disease, besides something for your mobility, besides something for your posture? Um, so it's all important when you kind of take things in. Most people claim to be limited in time to exercise. So you want to make sure that you get all your bases covered when you do do some exercise. And most of the studies on rebounders go back to a NASA study where they, you know, they gave people that were suspended without gravity and they did the rebounders and they maintained, um, you know, some cardiovascular fitness. And so therefore it's a great thing, but we live with gravity. So it doesn't necessarily transfer to the general human population versus running down the street or jumping rope or, uh, lifting weights at a, at a gym. So, you know, keep in mind what you're doing, to maintain, um, you know, your strength and mobility. Again, posture is very important. If you're forward, you don't have any, and your weight's all on your feet, you're not going to have weight through your spine, your hips, and your back, and so you're not going to get as big a bang for your buck, even if you're standing up, if you're leaning way forward or way back. So posture is actually very important as well. When you look at the thoracic spine, you have an you have an option to work on your thoracic spine or deteriorate your thoracic spine throughout the day. The biggest weight that you have in your body is your head. And if that bowling ball leans forward, then that's pulling on your thoracic spine and that pulls that curve and pulls you over and makes that curve worse and puts a lot of abnormal pressure on the building blocks of your spine and can lead to deterioration. So if um, everything is weakening and you have that bowling ball pulling more forward, then that's going to increase your risk of uh, a thoracic compression fracture. Everybody talks about core. Everybody wants to do crunches. Um, and again, folding and contracting the thoracic spine when you're working on your core is somewhat hurting your thoracic spine. And we often do exercises in one plane, say we crunch in the front, but we don't extend into the back. So it's very important at least to have balance flexion and extension exercises, push-pull, 
Um, but especially with the thoracic spine to make sure we have the extension uh, and keep that mobility of the thoracic spine and keep our spine intact. So a lot of work uh, needs to be done to kind of focus on our posture throughout the day. Where's your head? If you're looking at your phone and your head's down, if you're walking and your head's down, I, I see that all the time when I'm out running and I see people walking and they're looking at the ground or they're looking at their phone and their head is down they're all hunched over, their weight is forward, they're not getting near the benefit that they could be getting if they were to straighten up, tuck their chin back in, get their ears over their shoulders, get back. Um, A lot of knee pain is because people are leaning forward and they're jamming their knee every time they take a step because they're kind of falling into their knee as opposed to standing back uh, and extending and, and getting the power from the back of the stride. So Pay attention a little bit to even how you walk to get the biggest bang from your buck when you're you're going out walking. I don't think there's any there's no um, substitution for walking. Um, and when I say walking, I'll extend that into the best yet running. But walking at a minimum is um, a necessity in my mind to keep the spine uh, and hips intact. We know that as people age and their walking pace decreases, it's a sign of aging deterioration. Um, And that's okay if you're um, at an advanced age and things are slowing down and you you appreciate that things are slowing down. Um, And those are the people that we take care of and try to help uh, as much as we can so that they don't injure themselves and make their houses uh, accessible so that they don't fall. But in younger individuals, you don't want your walking to slow down before it needs to be or your running to slow down before it needs to be. So keep moving and and keep pushing. If you have the ability to grab a door jam or a bar, a chin-up bar, and hang from that and extend your shoulders uh, and stretch out your thoracic spine or do some yoga, that's, that's also great to incorporate. But sometimes, you know, that's just not people's M.O., Um, that's just not what they like to do. And ultimately, if you don't like to do some things, you're probably not going to do them. So you gotta, you gotta do the things that you like to do and incorporate this strength training and mobility training with what you like to do. Um, I had a discussion this week with one of my members who's an avid boater. So to get him to do step ups, um, he has steps to get into his boat um, to get him to do squats, he can squat down to get the boat up and down, lifting the ropes, lifting anchor, um, the way he picks things up, grabbing the bar over top, taking time to you know carry things associated with the boat, cleaning things to make sure you have full range of motion. If you're even if you're you know um, whatever you're cleaning, uh, it can be uh, you can use that to get a good range of motion. Use, you know, a, a broomstick stick or a mop can really help by um, looking at range of motion of your shoulders uh, and using that for thoracic uh, spine extension. So just doing some of those exercise in your daily routine or with things that you really like is important. If you have time to walk off the road and, and get into a different path and not always take the smoothest smoothest part then that's good make sure you're looking out keep your head up so you're not going to fall into things spine and hip health is especially important for golfers 
So practicing the swing using a weighted golf club, using the golf club for mobility, uh, using, um, you know, getting extension of your hamstrings and your quadriceps, doing some squats, um, all good for the golf game. As a part of that, lifting your bag, how do you, how do you lift the bag? How do you carry the bag? Grocery shopping, the same thing. So you can incorporate strength training in just about everything. Gardening is a great example. But, you know, don't let uh, the little guy carry your bags. Carry your own bags. Don't take the cart out um, to the, the store, the car, if you can help it. Carry the bags. Carry the bags with good posture. If you do take the cart out, put the cart back. Please do not leave the cart in the parking lot. Huge pet peeve of mine. Take the cart back to the cart stall. Get the extra steps and work on your posture back and forth. It's a great thing. It's a great opportunity. Never, ever lean on the cart. Never, ever lean on the cart. Use it as a way to improve your posture. My Dutch oven that I bake sourdough bread in is really heavy, so I can do a squat with that. I have a skillet that's also very, very heavy. I can do a squat with that and, and put that in the in its place. So you can use your acts of daily living to maintain your spinal mobility. If you have a desk job taking, you know, a two or three minutes out, five minutes out and doing spinal extension, thoracic extensions, uh, mobility with your hips, um, mobility with your calves you can have you know a little uh, you know um, a little pvc pipe to to work on your calves it just takes a few minutes here and there uh to to keep things going so um figure out what you want you know when do you want to throw the towel and when do you want to just have your deterioration accelerate if you don't want that if you want to be able to run into your 80s or you want to be able to boat into your 80s or 90 and be able to get in the boat and get out of the boat and not be a danger to yourself and others if you want to be able to golf into your 90s then you have to train for it and part of it is eating right and doing your exercises if you want to find out more about how we help people um, to eat a plant-based diet and avoid some of these perils of potential aging, um, give us uh, an email. You can email me at jamie at drdelaney.com. It's J-A-M-I at drdelaney.com. It's spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y. You can go to drdelaney.com to check out our practice. Uh, we love to see you. We're having so much, uh, a lot of good feedback from the podcast on Treasure Coast with, with the runners. Uh, we've had Two or three more people uh, commit to running the Treasure Coast Marathon next March. So I hope we have a, a really uh, good turnout. And if you're doing races and uh, you want to have some accountability, go over to Facebook at Plant Based Striders and, and join that group and see what's going on. We'd love to have you over there. That's something that's free as well. But uh, keep, keep moving and um, assess again your risk versus benefit before you go down one size fits all for therapies or intervention what are you going to do with the results what can you do to help yourself and what are the risks versus benefits and how do we assess how those choices are working out because we want to assess our progress we just want to do something and blindly not not check into things so we want to assess are you getting stronger are you getting more mobile is your posture getting better 
Um, and if it's on the the and if you've decided that you're going to go the medicine route, are, is your, are your bones getting are, are your bones getting stronger? Your thoracic spine, your hips. Are you also working on mobility? Because we know that you just can't take a medicine and everything will be all right. You got you, you have to have that other input in there too. So I hope you have a good weekend. Next weekend, I am running that 50-mile race for sure, and then I will give you the full race, be- race report, the gory details of the whole thing. Wish me luck. Thanks for listening. Good night.